Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Hillcrest Baptist Church on this Sunday night. It's good to be back in God's house. I've been looking forward to coming back ever since I left this morning. Amen. Wasn't God good to us this morning? Amen. All right. So if you would, I'm looking forward to hearing this preacher here just here, here again in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I want y'all to stand up and let's sing. Tell you what, we're going to sing a little bit about grace tonight, all right? Great is your faithfulness, oh God. You wrestle with the sinner's heart. You lead us by still waters into mercy. And nothing can keep us apart. So remember your people, remember your children, remember your promise, oh God. But your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. Great is your love and justice, God of Jacob. You use the weak to lead the strong. You lead us in the song of your salvation. And all your people sing along. So remember your people. Remember your children. Remember your promise, oh God. Your grace is enough. So remember your people, remember your children, remember your promise, oh God. Your grace is enough, your grace is enough, your grace is enough. That chorus one more time. Oh, your grace is enough, and your grace is enough, and your grace is enough for me, for me. Grace, grace, God's grace. That will pardon and cleanse within grace, grace, 
Thank you. 
Once again tonight, and we're going to be taking our, our offering, our regular offering. Just to remind you, at the end of our service this evening, we'll be taking a, a love offering for Brother Rock. And uh, if you're writing a check, uh, go ahead and make that check out to uh, Mike Shelby Ministries. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, make the check out to Hillcrest Baptist Church. All the love offering goes to Brother Rock, okay? So we want you to give you another opportunity at the end of our uh, services tonight. Were you blessed uh, this morning? And we're going to be blessed tonight. We've sang about grace. One of the most beautiful pictures of grace I was able to witness. It was there in Honduras. And if you were here Wednesday night, uh, you've heard this. But there was a young man who had fallen into sin been out of church for quite some time. He came back for the first time that Sunday. The men in that church saw him coming, gathered around him, took him down to the altar, and prayed with him, prayed over him. What a beautiful picture of grace uh, that is. There's somebody here tonight that needs to be reminded of the grace that's been bestowed upon you by the Lord Jesus Christ. You might have forgotten it. But because of His grace working in us, we need to bestow grace to those who have fallen. Is 
That's when we'll know we have revival. When we see people restored and we become the church that we're supposed to be. Amen? Brother Rock has brought his wife and when he gets up here to preach, he's going to introduce her to you. She is a very sweet lady and we're so glad that she's here and also her son. Uh, their son is back with us tonight too. So uh, we want to make sure that we extend a warm welcome to this dear, dear family. And uh, I'm excited about what we're going to hear tonight. Amen? Amen. Uh, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for your grace. Lord, we know that those of us who are here tonight that have trusted in you, Lord, uh, we've confessed our sins, repented of our sins, and we've called upon your wonderful name. Lord, we know that we are only saved because of your grace. Help us not to forget that. But Lord, also help us to extend grace. There could be someone here tonight that's kind of slipped away, fallen away, but they've come back. Lord, I pray that they will be received warmly, graciously. And Lord, that we'll be reminded of the wonderful story there in Luke chapter 15. We've all become, at one time, prodigal sons and daughters. But we thank you that every time we've come back to the Father, you've always received us with open arms. Lord, as we take this offering, may you multiply it and use it for your kingdom's business. And Lord, now I pray that you would help us to get our our minds and our hearts ready to receive your word tonight by your servant that you brought to us. And Lord, that he will not preach his message, but he'll preach your message. And Lord, we're expecting, we're expecting you to do something in our midst tonight. Help us to be able to receive what you have in store for us. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and all the church family says,
This morning, if you were not here, I introduced uh, Dr. Rock Collins, and uh, so just uh, let you know a little bit about him. Uh, this coming January, he would be our uh, evangelism director for the state of Tennessee for two years now, uh, doing an excellent job and travels all over the state, and I believe they picked the right man when it came to evangelism director, uh, when they picked uh, uh, Dr. Rock Collins. And also, he pastored there in uh, East Tennessee uh, for 11 years prior to coming uh, to be a part of our Tennessee Baptist Convention. Uh, many of you do not have the privilege that I have been able. Uh, you just see him here. You might get to speak to him. But uh, I was able to hang out with him a little bit. And uh, he's a hoot. <laughs> he's... He's somebody that you'd like just to hang out with, you know. 
put you a pair of blue jeans and t-shirt and, uh, and just hang out with him. He's blessed my heart. And uh, not only can he preach, but he loves the Lord Jesus, has a passion about spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, throughout this state and beyond. And uh, he's going to introduce his wife to you. And uh, I just want you to give a warm welcome to Dr. Rock Collins and to his wife and to uh, his son as well. So a good Hillcrest welcome for him. Thank you, brother. Well, amen. Thank you so much. I am honored to have my sweet wife here. This is Gerilyn. She's sitting down here on the front row. And Gerilyn and I have been married this past July. It was 26 years. And we got married when we were like two. And uh, we do have two sons, and this is my oldest son. His name is Roe. Now, someone asked, what? And I introduced him. What's your name? Roe, R-O. Doesn't everybody have a name like that? Anyway, Roe, uh, he is Roy O. Collins the Fourth, And so R-O is his initials. And I'm Roy O. Collins the Third, and R-O-C is my initials. Now, R-O-C is his initials, too, but we dropped a C, and we just called him Roe, all right? <laughs> so now that y'all have the history, my wife, Gerilyn, my son, Roe, he's recently graduated from college, and uh, we are working on getting him off the payroll, and so... Uh, we're also looking for a godly, good-looking woman. So, being y'all would like to bring me an application afterwards. As I'm telling you, this is way too important a decision to leave up to him. <laughs> My grandchildren are on the line here. You see what I'm saying? Hey, man, I'm going to hear about that all the way home. But anyway... He's my oldest son. I do have another son. Gerald and I have another son. His name is Noah. Sorry, no big story there. But uh, <laughs> there was this art. Anyway, Noah is uh, a sophomore at Middle Tennessee State, and he is an audio engineer student, and he is the audiovisual uh, guy at Bel Air Baptist down in Murfreesboro. So you pray for him, and uh, we're, I'm just blessed. I'm telling you, God has been so good to me, and I am blessed to be able to serve you at the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. God is so good. Let, let me just, I just got to tell you what he's done, okay? I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the Southern Baptist Convention, we're on a 17-year decline in baptisms. Did you know that? 17 years. In the history of Southern Baptist life, that's never happened. 17. Our statisticians tell us that a denomination has to be in decline for 12 years for it to be considered a denomination that is officially in decline. And we're 17 years. Listen, things are tough. It's difficult. But I came tonight to tell you something good. Tennessee Baptist last year saw a 2% increase in baptisms. Praise be to God. Don't get too excited. You do know that 57% of Tennessee's lost, don't you? Do you know that? 57%. We have almost 7 million residents and we're approaching 4 million that are lost without Jesus Christ. I love the state of Tennessee, but we're no longer a Christian state when the majority is lost. 
Do you know that in the state of Tennessee, we have over 145 different people groups? 42 of the most unreached people groups are included in that list, and they're coming to Tennessee. Isn't that amazing? Wonder why. I wonder if they're coming to Tennessee because God thought he had some faithful here who would tell them about Jesus. Just, just my wonderings. If you have your Bible tonight, turn with me to Luke chapter 15, chapter 16, Luke chapter 16. While you're turning there, uh, I am honored to serve you at our Tennessee Baptist Convention. God is so faithful, and I am burdened for Tennessee. And I ask you to pray for me and pray for Dr. Randy Davis, our director, and, and uh, pray for our missionaries across the state, we are seeking to encourage and equip churches to give them whatever they need to come alongside and to see that we win Tennessee for Jesus. Here's what I know. The desire of the heart of the mission board is that we'd see Tennessee come to Christ. And that's what we're about. Listen, I don't want to be a part of an organization that's not interested in seeing folk come to know Jesus. Amen. And so I'm glad to be a part of this convention, glad that you are a part of this convention, and I am honored to serve you in that capacity. Luke chapter 16, I'd like to begin in verse 19. I'm going to ask you, if you will, in reverence to the Word of God, stand with me as we read. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for the great privilege of being in your house. Thank you, Lord, that we could come to worship you in freedom tonight. God, I pray as we walk about this text this evening that you would expound it to us, that, Lord, you would open our hearts and our minds that we would hear what you have to say. And, God, I pray that you would preach. Lord, we don't need to hear what Rock Collins has to say, but we assuredly need to hear what Jesus has to say. And so, God, I pray that you would just dismiss me, just sit me to the side, and let us hear from heaven. And Lord, may it be that all the praise, honor, and glory might be credited to Jesus, for it's in his name I pray. Amen. You might be seated. We live in an unusual day, and for the last 15 or 20 years, there's been a move in our society that uh, is all about reality. Everybody wants a little piece of reality, and I, I've even noticed that in the last number of years that we have all this reality television anymore, and everybody gets all engrossed in reality television, and what's so sad is the more we learn about reality television, the more we learn it's not really reality after all, but it's mostly been set up and choreographed and scripted and so forth. But I think there's a picture there that people really do want something that's real. 
They want some reality. Nobody likes to just continually live in a fairy tale world, although I know some people who do. <laughs> but at some point, you have to come to some reality. And so tonight, for just a few minutes, I'd like to have a little reality check. And, and let's, just, let's just look at some things that are real. That'd be all right? Y'all be all right before we talk about something real, right? Well, the Bible tells us about a man who was rich. The Bible tells us that he was rich, he was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. Well, we understand what it means to be rich, but when it talks about clothed in purple and fine linen and faring sumptuously, that may be a little bit more stretching our minds, but what it literally means is he dressed good and he ate well. That's what it means. He was wearing the best of the day and he ate the best of the day. The Bible then tells us that there was a beggar named Lazarus. Now, let's just stop right there for a minute because if we're going to talk about something real, let's be sure we're dealing with reality because we have some theologians who will tell us that this is a parable. It's a story. Jesus often taught with parables. He would tell a parable like this. He would say, the sower went out with his seed to sow, and some seed fell on the wayside, some on rocky ground, and some uh, fell among the thorns, and some fell on good ground. That's a parable. It's a story that Jesus was using. Let me use this word. It was an illustration. Some people say this is just an illustration or a parable. And here's what they say. They say the reason we know that a parable is a parable is because the names of people aren't used. Just like when Jesus said a certain sower went out to sow his seed, he didn't call the sower by name because he was just showing us a picture. And so some theologians will say that this is a, it's just a fictitious account because he didn't say the rich man's name. But I'd just like to say that I agree with that theologian of old, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who said the reason he didn't call the rich man's name is because Jesus didn't know it because it wasn't written in the Lamb's book of life. And I would draw a distinction with you too. They did. Jesus did call the name of the beggar and his name was Lazarus. So I just want to say from the onset here, I believe this is factual. I believe this is reality. I don't believe that it is a story. I don't believe it's in a parable. I don't believe it's an illustration. But King Jesus himself is speaking these words. There was a rich man who dressed well and he ate well. And then there was a poor man. The Bible said he was a beggar. But watch this. It said this beggar was laid at his gate. It didn't say he was laying at his gate. It said he was laid at his gate. If he was laid at the gate of the rich man, listen, he had been laid there because somebody with a heart full of mercy laid him there. That's how he got there. Somebody laid him there in hopes that the rich man would be able to somehow at least share perhaps the crumbs off his table. And so this man is 
laid there. The Bible tells us that his body's full of sores. He wanted to be fed. He's hungry. He's miserable. He is in a terrible situation. He's laying there desiring to be fed. He'll be satisfied with crumbs. He's got sores, and the picture is that of oozing sores. with All over his body, he's got sores with running blood and pus flowing out of them, and the Bible said that the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that just doesn't appeal to me. Even without the sores, I just soon not have a dog lick me. Now, we have a little dog at our house. He's a shizu. His name is Lewis. Don't ask. I don't know. My youngest son, it's his dog. He named him Lewis, okay? And so, Lewis, Lewis will lick about anything. And I'm just really not into that. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? I mean, I feed this dog. We, you know, we taking care of him and everything, but don't lick me. I just, if I need to lick something off my hand, I'll lick it off my hand. I don't need the dog to lick it. So I just want you to know, even before I get to the sores that are oozing with infection and blood, I'm grossed out because the dog's licking him. But the Bible said the dog was licking his sores. Now, I don't know, that just sounds gross to me. But some tell us that those dogs licking his sores probably gave him a little bit of relief from the pain he was experiencing. As Bonhoeffer again said, I hate to be redundant repeating him, but I'll do it one more time. He said, the dogs did what the rich man had the opportunity to do but failed to do. Well, I wonder how many times the dog has taken your place and my place. Dogs came and licked his sores. Crumbs from the rich man's table he never received. But the Bible tells us that he died. I came tonight to just share a little reality. The first reality I'd have us look at is the fact that we're all going to die. The reality of death. I said the reality of death. The Bible said that this beggar died, and then it said this rich man died. Can I tell you, you're going to die. God bless your heart. I love you, but you're going to die. Now, I know you didn't get dressed up to come to church tonight to hear somebody tell you you're going to die. But nonetheless, you're going to die. Well, preacher, I want to get in the rapture. Praise be to God, so do I. I want to hear the trumpet sound and I'll be out of here. I want to go. But just as sure as the rapture is real, this old body's going to have to lay down before I can get there. It's going to happen quick if I'm in the rapture because the Bible said in a moment, the twinkling of an eye will be changed. Praise God. But this body cannot inherit heaven. The Bible said flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. I love you, but this body's got to die. You're going to die. If you don't get in the rapture, you're going to die. Here, if you do get in the rapture, the body's going to be changed in a moment, twinkle of an eye, but somewhere you got to die. I wish it weren't true, but it is. And if you'll notice in this text, there's a poor man and a rich man, and they both died. Death is no respecter of persons. Death doesn't care how old you are, how young you are. Death doesn't care how much money you have or how much money you don't have. Death doesn't care what your position is, what your title is, how much education you have or how little you have. Death doesn't care. It's no respecter of person, and we're all going 
to die. You just need to come to grips with that fact. I'm just going to live right here in Lebanon the rest of my You can't just stay here. You're going somewhere. The Bible tells us that the poor man died. Listen to this. I want you just to listen. Just, just listen. Listen. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Whoo, that sounds good to me. Now, let, let me just break that down. Abraham's bosom, where is that? Can I ask you something? Who's telling this account? Jesus, that's right. So what does that mean? It means that when Jesus is giving this account, he has yet to die on the cross and rise from the dead. Thus, nobody could get to heaven. Because the only way you get to heaven, my Lord, is through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Is anybody here? So Jesus is given this record and he talks about a place called the bosom of Abraham. Where is that? Well, we understand that to be a holding place, as it were, for those who have died before Jesus' resurrection. They've died, but they died in faith in God. They believed God and they were in this place of paradise, a holding place, and they were there until Jesus came and the scripture said, led captivity captive. And so they could couldn't get to heaven until Jesus arose. Jesus telling the story. So when this poor man died, this beggar, he went to the bosom of Abraham, which was paradise. It was a waiting place until Jesus made a way to get to heaven. So that's what the bosom of Abraham is. But look right before that. The beggar died and was carried by the angels. Amen. Let me say it again. And the beggar died and was carried by the angels. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. He died and he was carried by the angels. Amen. Amen. I, I believe when you die that if you know the Lord, you'll be carried by the angels. Amen. You'll be directed wherever you need to go according to Scripture right there. Now, I don't believe you become an angel. That's a whole other message. I'll leave that alone. Just set that right, just set that right over here. I'm just not going to go there right now. I'll take all night. They were carried, listen, Lazarus was carried by angels. Now, if that's exactly what happens now, I just want you to know y'all ought to be around when I die because there's going to be some angels right there who are going to pick me up. Some of y'all have realized what I just said tonight. But they carried Lazarus. There's something that is beautiful. There's something that is peaceful. There's something that is comforting to me to read that verse and says the angels carried him. I mean, it's, but in contrast, the Bible says the rich man also died and was buried. Now, now just stop there for a minute. Lazarus died and was carried by angels to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. Does anybody see a difference? Lazarus died and was carried by the angels to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man died and was buried. Even in the text, 
when you come to he died and was buried, there's a, a semicolon there. There's a pause. You have to stop and just kind of let that soak a minute because Lazarus was carried by angels, but the rich man died and was buried. Lazarus was carried by angels in the bosom of Abraham, but the rich man just died and was buried. Death is no respecter of how much you have or don't have, and I've come to tell you that the rich and the poor die. Death is a reality. I wish it weren't true. I wish it weren't so. I wish we could pass by it. I've been to the cemetery too many times. I've got too many who have left. I wish it weren't true. But dear brother and sister, death is a reality of our life. And you're going to die. I don't know when, but you're going to die. But I wouldn't only have you notice the reality of death, but would you notice, secondly, the reality of hell? Look at this. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell, wait a minute now, and in hell, preacher, you... This is 2018. We are an educated and sophisticated society, and you know we don't believe in a place called hell. I don't know who we is unless you got a frog in your pocket, but I'm not in that we. I do believe in hell because God tells us there is a place called hell. It's Listen to me. It's not a word that God gave us to use for emphasis. It's not a fairy tale made up to go along with the boogeyman. Hell is a real place. How do I know that? I know that because the Son of the living God said it right here. Now, I know we live in a day where people say, well, there's not really a hell. There's not really a hell. You can say it till you're blue in the face, but that doesn't make it true. You can say Rock Collins is not standing there. Rock Collins is not standing there, but I'm still standing here. So you can talk about no hell all you want, but that doesn't change the fact. And the Bible said, in hell, there is a place called hell. I said, there is a place called hell. And for just a few minutes, I want you to see the reality of that place. Will you look with me? The Bible said, in hell, he lift up his eyes. What can I tell you about hell? The first thing I can tell you is that if you die and go to hell, you are conscious. I said, you're conscious. See, some folks say, well, you know, if, if you die or when you die, you just kind of lay out there in the grave. And, and that's it. Well, that's not true. We know that. Right here in this text, we've got two people die, and they have something to say it's immediately after they die. One's carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The other one is in hell and lift up his eye. So we know that you're not just going to lay in the grave. You're going somewhere. But in hell, you're conscious. I have people who say, well, you might go to a bad place, but, you know, it, it just be for a few minutes. Well, that's not true either. That's not what the Bible teaches. So what does it teach? It teaches you are conscious. You don't lift up your eyes if you're not conscious. He had feeling. We're going to see that in a moment. But, but he had feeling, and he was aware of his situation. I said he was aware of his situation. He's aware of his circumstance. He knew he was in a bad place. The Bible said that in hell he lift up his eyes being in torment. Listen, the reality of hell is you're conscious, and secondly, you can feel. 
You can feel pain. The Bible said he was tormented. Later we're going to say, we're going to see where he said, I'm tormented in this flame. Now, Brother Rock, do you really expect us to believe there's a flame in hell? Really doesn't matter to me if you believe it or not. It's what it is. It's just truth. Well, preacher, you know that when fire gets at the body, a human body, it will just be consumed by the fire and cease to exist. You're exactly right, but that's here, not hell. I said, that's here, not hell. If he can give me a brand new body that I can live forever with him and be like him, he can give you a body that's fire retardant. You hear what I'm saying? Hell is a place where you can feel. I heard people, oh, we're going to go have a party in hell. Ain't no partying in hell. It's miserable. The Bible said that he was conscious. He lifted up his eyes. The Bible said he was in torment. And then it said he sees Abraham and Lazarus. Have mercy. In hell, you maintain your consciousness. In hell, you maintain your ability to feel and to perceive and understand where you are. But also in hell, you re retain your memory. You imagine that rich man looking across the great gulf and seeing Lazarus. Hey, I, I recognize him. Yeah, I, I remember him. I passed by him every time I'd go in and out of my gate. Yeah, I saw him out there. I recognize that guy. Can you imagine maintaining your memory in hell? Let me tell you how bad that is. You maintain your memory in hell. Let's just assume, uh, and however tragic, I pray this is not the case, but if there's somebody sitting here lost without Jesus tonight and you die and go to hell, you're going to go to hell and for all of eternity, you're going to remember me standing here preaching and saying, you didn't have to go to hell. For all of eternity in hell, you'll remember every time somebody told you about Jesus. You'll remember every time you had an opportunity to accept him as your Lord. You'll remember every time God did something that you could have got on board with, but you refused to. You rejected him, and you'll remember it for all of eternity. The Bible said he looked across and he saw Lazarus and he saw Abraham. He knew who they were. And then the Bible said, then the Bible said, he cried. Oh, church, we've read that verse with such a lack of feeling, such a lack of emotion. He, the Bible said he cried. This is a rich man. I don't believe there were just a couple of tears running down his cheek and he's trying to be pitiful. The Bible said he cried. Can you hear him? I can hear him down through the corridors of time. I can hear him while he said, But that doesn't sound like much of a party to me. Abraham! Oh, Abraham! Please, 
He's begging. He's begging that Lazarus could put his finger in water and touch his tongue. We usually say he begged for a drop, but it wasn't even a drop. He just touched my tongue. Don't be deceived, my dear brother and sister. You go to hell, you will cry in torment. And in hell tonight, they're crying. I said in hell tonight, they're crying. And Abraham said, no. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Abraham, have mercy. I mean, this guy is suffering. He just wants somebody to touch their, their, their finger in water and then touch, their tongue, touch his tongue. I mean, have some mercy. No! I, I mean, just touch his tongue. No! Well, that's just, that's just cold-hearted. Listen to this. Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted. Thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Abraham said, No! Abraham, just touch me! No! Seems like an easy enough thing to do. Why not? Because there's no mercy in hell. There's no relief in hell. Do you hear what I'm saying? Listen to me. If you die and go to hell, don't you be sending an email to the pastor because he didn't come by to visit you. Don't be trying to rally up your little group and say, we're going to run all these people off from the church because they don't care about those of us who are having a hard time. If you're in hell, you're not going to get any visits from the church. You're not going to get any cards from the church. You're not going to get any flowers from the church because you are fresh out of luck because there's no luck and there's no mercy. Oh, we're going to go to hell and have us a party. We're going to drink beer. And, oh, no, you're not. There's no beer in hell. Although that's the only place it's fit for. Some of y'all do good to get with me. Well, you know, preacher, I just have a little cocktail. You know where a cocktail belongs, don't you? The end of a rooster. I, I'm just going to set that over here with that other thing. I, <laughs> There's no party in hell. There's nothing to cool you in hell because you are absolutely miserable and you are tormented. Listen to me. The Bible said you're tormented in a flame. Listen to me. And there's no relief from it. Let me say it like this. Hell is absolutely 100% hopeless. And that's a place none of us have ever been. Oh, we've been in hopeless situations. They felt like it, but we've never been hopeless. Because as long as we can still call on the Lord Jesus Christ, there's hope. Amen? But hey, I've come to tell you, you die and go to hell, there's no hope. I said there's no hope. It's a hopeless condition. People who die and go to hell, they can't do anything about it. Oh, if I'd only known it was this bad, I wouldn't have come here. You are hearing it right now. No, 
No, he cannot dip his finger in water and touch your tongue. No, there's no relief because you see, there's a great gulf set up between us and you can't come here and we can't go there because you are in hell. Hell is absolutely hopeless. I said hell is absolutely hopeless. But let me show you something else about hell. When we look at the reality of hell, we see that hell is a place you maintain your consciousness. Hell is a place that you have pain. You feel pain. You have feeling. Hell is a place where you have your memory. Hell is a place where you're crying for relief and there is none to be found. Hell is a place that is hopeless. But let me show you something else. Verse 27. Then he said, I pray thee. Then he said, I pray Isn't that an interesting choice of words that we find in the Bible? You know, the term would mean to beseech or to call on. But right here in the King James, it says, I pray. Isn't that interesting? I, I, I just can't get away from that. I, I find it so interesting that there's somebody in hell praying. The Bible never tells us this man prayed before. Oh, he dressed good and he ate well, but it never even tells us he blessed his food and prayed over it. The Bible never mentions prayer in this man's life, not one time. But when we get to hell, he's praying. And watch this. This, this, is, this is what's amazing. He said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren. Listen, He's praying, but look what he's praying. He's praying evangelistically. He's praying for the lostness of his brothers. Let me tell you something about hell. All those things I've told you are true. Here's two more truths. There's a lot of praying going on in hell, and evangelistic fervor is alive and well in hell. You get concerned about lost souls in hell. Now, some of us can't work out 10 minutes to pray today, but if you die and go to hell, you're going to be praying a whole lot. They're praying in hell tonight. Do you know that right now they're having prayer meeting in hell? This morning we got up and came to church. They got up and had prayer meeting this morning. They didn't get up because they never went to bed. They prayed all night. They prayed all night last night. They prayed all night the night before that and the night before that, and the night before that, and tonight they're going to pray all night. And they're going to be praying for lost people that they know. I'm just telling you what Scripture said. Can I ask you a question? Hillcrest Baptist Church, can I ask you a question? Is there more praying going on in hell for lost people than there is in this church? You want to know why 57% of Tennesseans are lost without Jesus? It's because the church of Jesus Christ no longer has a burden to see them saved. We don't pray for lost people. Don't look at me like that. If I ask you right now, and I'm not going to, don't anybody raise your hand. I've done it in many churches, though. I've said, hey, if you know somebody lost, raise your hand. And I've watched and less than half the church will raise their hand. We got a problem when the church doesn't know lost people. Preacher, I'm a good Christian, and so I hang around Christians. Well, I'm glad, but you don't win lost people by hanging around Christians. 
Maybe we ought to borrow a little theology from Garth Brooks. I got friends in low places. Can I just ask you a question? Where do you think Jesus would be hanging out? Were he walking around in the flesh? Well, preacher, I believe you'd come to Hillcrest because we have such good worship. Really? I believe he might come to Hillcrest. I don't know if it'd be because it's such good worship or, or because of who we are, but I believe he might come to Hillcrest because he has some lost folk he wanted to bring over here. Hmm? Wouldn't it be a shame to get out prayed by hell? I'm just curious. How many of you think that there's greater evangelistic conviction in hell than there is in the pews of this church? I mean, when was the last time you prayed for 30 minutes for somebody that's lost, let alone all night? This man's praying for his brothers. And some of you have lost family members. And you know what you say to me? They say it to me everywhere I go. Well, you know, it's so hard to witness the lost to, to the lost people who are my family. It's just, you know, it's hard to witness the family. Well, listen, you've got an option. Just tell them to go to hell. Is that what you want to do? You don't care about them enough to tell them truth? Just bid them adieu. Well, you know, it's just hard to tell them about You know why it's hard? Because they know you. We're getting a little close to the corn, aren't we? Amen. Hey, if you don't tell them about Jesus and they die without Jesus, they'll go to hell. So if they look at you and say, well, I can't believe you tell me this. You're not perfect. You say, bless the Lord, I'm not perfect, but I'm saved. Thanks be to God. He's got evangelistic fervor. He said, I don't want my brothers to come to this place. Are we getting out prayed by hell? Do you know anybody lost? I said, do you know anybody lost? Are you praying for somebody right now by name that's lost without Jesus? They're having prayer meeting in hell for the lost. Evangelistic fervor is running rampant. but the prayers from hell are never answered. They can have as much evangelistic zeal as they want in hell, but it doesn't mean a thing. They can pray all day, every day, and it doesn't mean a thing. You know why? Because the prayers from hell are never answered because the prayers from hell are never heard. See, when you die and go to hell, you find yourself, listen to me, you die and go to hell, you have been eternally separated from God. Do you know what that means? It means he no longer hears your prayers. I said he no longer, that's why hell's hopeless. Well, I thought God could do anything. He can hear, still hear my prayer from hell. No, he chooses not to. You die and go to hell, you are forever separated from the presence of God. Listen, if there were no fire, if there was no memory, if there was no torment, if there was no pain, it would be hell because you are separated from the presence of holy God. Wouldn't it be a shame to find out that we've been outprayed by hell and their prayers are never answered nor are they ever heard and we have a direct line to the Father through Jesus the Son and we don't even use it? Oh God, 
break our hearts tonight for people who are dying and going to hell. Don't we care? Preacher, you know, I got a job and I've got to work. And when you've done all the work in the world, it won't make one hill of beans difference in heaven. But what you did for Jesus will last. Abraham, I pray, send Lazarus back. Send Lazarus back. So I got five brothers. I don't want coming here. And Abraham said, no. No. Prayers are not answered. Prayers are not heard from hell. Abraham said, no. So the reality is we're all going to die. Hell is a real place where you maintain your consciousness. You have feeling. You're aware. You are given your memory to be retained forever. You are in torments and you are suffering. You beg and cry for just a touch on your tongue from some cool water. You are in a hopeless condition. You are praying and you're filled with evangelistic fervor, but nothing happens. The reality of death, the reality of hell. One more thing and I'll be done. I want you to see the reality of why people go to hell. I mean, preacher, after what you just described, I don't want to go, neither do I. Amen. Nobody I know that understands what hell is wants to go. So why do people go? Well, people are bad. No. No. Send Lazarus back. And here's what Abraham said. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. What does that mean? It means Abraham said, they are hearing the truth, they have heard the truth, and they must believe the truth. Faith come by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And the rich man said, no, 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 Abraham. But if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Isn't that interesting? Send Lazarus back, tell my five brothers, well, let them hear Moses and the prophet. No, no, no. No, you're going to need to do something sensational. You're going to have to do something that really will captivate their attention. Like sending Lazarus back from the dead, that would do it. You know, maybe he even suggested you can take off your coat and twirl it around and folk will fall down. Or maybe you could stand up and, and just blow on somebody and they'd fall down. That'll be. Is anybody here tonight? I'm amazed that they can fill up arenas with folks who do that kind of stuff. Dog and pony show. Let's have some sensationalism. Oh, let's, let's put on shows and, and, and let's, just, let's just help people to be entertained. And Abraham said, no, said, said that ain't going to do it. And I don't care how many people you can get in your church, if you don't give them the word of God, they're going to leave hungry every time. And if they came lost, they'll leave lost. You know why people go to hell? 
I came to tell you why people go to hell. It's not because they're bad. It's not because they were born on the wrong side of the tracks. It's not because they've just had a lot of hard luck in their life. People die and go to hell because they refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's it. Well, preacher, I just don't believe you. I believe people go to hell because they're bad. Well, then we're all going. There's none good, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. And we've all sinned. I said, we've all sinned. Can I get a witness? We've all sinned. And the Bible said the wages of sin is death. Every last one of us are guilty. Every one of us are bad. Every one of us have sinned. And every one of us deserve to go to hell and be eternally separated from God from God forever. Every one of us. It would do us good tonight to remember we're not worthy of anything but hell. People don't go to hell because they're bad. They go to hell because they refuse to accept Jesus Christ. There won't be anybody in heaven who doesn't believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross and shed his blood for their sin, who rose from the dead on the third day and have accepted him as their Savior. Everybody in heaven will believe that. And guess what? Everybody in hell will too. The problem is they will have had to go to hell before they believed it. See, see, the Bible tells us about a great day. It said, Philippians 2, that God gave Jesus a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father. And one of these sweet days I'm going to get on my knees, Brother Denton, and I'm going to say, He is Lord! He is Lord! He is Lord! And I'm telling you, I'll come up off my knees shouting, <laughs> I'm going to take a lap around wherever I am. You know what I'm saying? But everybody in the world's going to get down on their knees to pronounce he's Lord, except some folks are going to do it, and it will not be a shout of victory like I'll have. It'll be a shout of judgment. But as sure as I stand here and you sit there, every knee's going to bow, and every tongue's going to confess that he is Lord question is will you have submitted to him before then if you're lost without Jesus tonight God loved you so much that he sent Jesus so you wouldn't have to go to hell and be forever separated from him do you know you know what it says over there in uh, in Revelation 21 uh, uh, in 21 he says and we listen John saw new heaven coming down from from, from heaven, he saw the new heaven coming down, and he saw, it said, like a bride adorned for her husband. And he said, and God dwelled with his people, and he was their God, and the people were his people. Do, do you know that's the whole thrust of the Bible? God wants to be our God, and he wants us to be his people. That's the, that's the whole drive. I just, I just summed up the whole Bible for you. God will be our God, and we'll be his people. Go read it. Starts in Genesis, ends in Revelation. It's his book. Why would he create a place so that people would be eternally separated from him? The Bible said he did it for the devils and his angels. Hell was never meant for man. It was meant for the devil and his angels. But when man said no to the Lord Jesus Christ, they lined up with the devil and his angels. And one day he'll say to them, depart from me, you cursed workers of iniquity. I never knew you. 
See, I'm telling you that to say this. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Matter of fact, best I can find in Scripture, it says he's not desiring that any should perish. If you're lost without Jesus, he died on the cross and rose from the dead because he wants to be your God and you to be his people. He wants fellowship with you. He wants eternity with you. I love the way Max Licato said it when he said, God is the one who would rather die than live without us. And so Jesus died so that we could live with him forever. Oh, friend, if you don't know Jesus, would you come to him? Oh, I'd love to introduce you to him. I know that there are Christians all across the house saying, boy, I wish I had more lost people here tonight. I, I wish so-and-so was here and so-and-so. Maybe you know somebody sitting here tonight who's lost and you're praying for them and I rejoice with you. But, but Christian brother, sister, I don't want you to think for one second that this was a message just for lost people. I'm afraid we want the preacher to preach on hell to scare people out of hell. But I've come to tell you, Christian, I'm convinced that most Christians don't believe in hell. I don't care how much you talk about it. Because if you believed hell was real, you'd be talking about Jesus to lost people. But there's some things you love a little more than people. Well, you know, it's just not convenient. Well, I might offend them. To where? Hell number two? Well, if I talk to them about Jesus, they might get upset. So? Is that why you're doing it, to upset them? Let, let me help you with something. When you and I share Jesus with somebody that's lost, it's got very little to do with us, and it's got everything to do with him. If it's offensive to them, let me rephrase that. When it's offensive to them, because the Bible said the preaching of the cross is offensive to those who are lost. You're going to offend somebody. But guess what? If they get saved, they'll get over it real quick. Christian, I came tonight to tell you hell is real. And as sure as I stand here and you sit there, we're all going to die and we're going to spend eternity somewhere. And the only reason people go to hell is because they refuse to accept Jesus Christ and we've been called, glory to God, we've been called as ambassadors to carry the good news that Jesus saved, Jesus saved, Jesus saved. What in the world seems to be wrong with us? If he would save us, won't he save anybody? See, I'm praying tonight that if you're lost, you'd get saved. But if you're saved, I'm praying you'd get convicted that hell is real and people are going. And you and I have a responsibility to carry the message of Jesus. Who have you told about Jesus? I had a lady in my church a number of years ago. She said, Pastor, I've got a cousin in the hospital. Would you go see him? Well, sure, I'd be glad to. And then she said, he don't like preachers. Why do they never lead with that? Why? Help me, Pastor. Why do they not say, Pastor, they don't like pastors. Would you go see them? But no, they get you committed. Yeah, I'll go. He don't like preachers. 
<laughs> That's funny, isn't it? Y'all will be all right. There's one place they're not laughing. I'm not going. So I went to see this man in the hospital, and I knocked on his hospital door. And I walked in, and I just want y'all to know I didn't lead with I'm a pastor. Hey, how you doing, Ron? Rock Collins, good to see you. I said, your cousin, I know her. <laughs> Come on, give me a little bit of help here. I gotta, you know, and I said, uh, you know, she just told me he's here, and I thought I'd just come by and check on you. And I eventually, after I eased into it, told him I was a pastor. And, and, uh, and, and the conversation went okay. It was brief, but we had a little conversation. I said, hey, uh, you know, I know you're sick. You're in the hospital. Can I just pray for you? And he said, sure. Whew, couldn't believe it. So I prayed for him. His cousin came to him and said he got out of the hospital and he appreciated you coming by. Well, glory to God, he didn't hate me. About two weeks later, she came and said he's in the, the VA now over in Johnson City and could, uh, could you go see him? He's, he's really worse. And I went over there. I walked in his room and, and he was sick. He was, he was bad sick. And I said... Uh, just wanted to come check on you. And then I started sharing Jesus with him. And he kind of listened, but was really just not interested. So many words, he let me know that. But I said to him, can I pray for you before I go? And he said, sure. So I prayed something along these lines. Lord, I'm so glad that you sent Jesus. Lord, I know if a man will trust the Lord Jesus that he died on the cross and rose from the... You, you follow me, aren't you? I prayed salvation. I want to do everything I could to try to get the gospel of this man. And I, I talked to him a little more and, and I left. I went back to see him two or three more times and every time I'd go, he wasn't there. They would had him out doing a test or something. and So it had been a week and a half, two weeks. I got back over there and I finally found his room, and he was in there. I knocked on the door, and I walked in, and there was somebody laying in the bed, and I saw him, and I thought, that's not him. I'm in the wrong room. I walked back out, and I looked at the name, and it was him. And in two weeks, his whole appearance had changed. He was deteriorating before my eyes. And I said, sir, just wanted to stop by and say, okay. I said, I know you're pretty sick. yes. I said, I, you know, the doctor's giving you, you know, a no. You know, I said, sir, when, when, when a man gets this place in his life and he's about to die, um, it's important that he knows Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I don't want to hear about that. I said, I, I understand, but, but sir, you're, you're pretty sick and, and Jesus is your own. I don't want to hear about it. said, uh, okay, can I pray for you before I go? He's letting me pray every time I come. He said, no, I told you I don't want to get into it. And I left. And two days later, his cousin walked up to me and told me he died.
Now, unless something happened, he's in hell tonight. I don't know what that does to you or says to you, but I could get on my face and cry when I think about it. Because I stood there and held what he needed and he refused to even hear me. And there are people you're going to come in contact with this week. They're going to come in contact with this week. And you've got what they need. And while they can still hear, would you tell them about Jesus? I wonder if you'd just get serious about praying for people that are lost. We can name every sick person in Middle Tennessee, but we can't seem to name a lost person. What's up? If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I pray tonight God will convict your heart that you're not even praying for lost people. Hell is real. And people go because they reject Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, come to him tonight. The moment there'll be ministers here at the front, I'll be here, come take one of us at the other hand and say, I want Jesus in my heart and we'll introduce you to him. The Bible said if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and on the third day God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Would you come? Christian, are you burdened about lostness? If you're not, I believe it's because you don't really believe hell's real. I'm going to tell you one more thing and I'm done, okay? Will you listen to me, Hillcrest? God told me to preach this tonight. I don't know if that's because somebody's lost or if because he's trying to stir his church. I believe it's both but I am as sure as I stand here before you that he told me to preach this tonight. And so I've tried to do what God told me to do. What are you going to do with what he told you? Father, I give you thanks for meeting with us tonight. God, you know every heart in this place. You know that man or woman, a young person that's lost without you. God, I pray that your sweet Holy Spirit would draw them unto yourself right now. God, I pray they'll come down this aisle in a hurry wanting to meet you as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray for those who know you that we would be absolutely overwhelmed with the thought of people we know going to hell. Oh God, would you break our heart because we don't live like hell is a real place. We don't live like people are going there, oh God. I pray we would find ourselves broken before you tonight and we would recommit ourselves afresh to be witnesses for you. Lord, let your will be done. This is your invitation. And I pray you'll divide it unto yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Very quietly, reverently, stand to your feet. As God spoke to you, come on. There's already people in the altar. You need to come.